0: Uh, our sermon series on the Ten Commandments. We are on the Sixth Commandment today. I'm going to read the Ten Commandments as I have every week. Um, Just a heads up, next week is the Seventh Commandment. So parents who have children who they bring into the service, thou shalt not commit adultery. Just PG-13. Okay? That's your awkward conversation and not mine. Today I'm going to read from Exodus 20 in Matthew chapter 5. God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath, that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. From Matthew chapter 5. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hands you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you to be put in prison. Truly truly I say to you, you will never get out until you've paid the last penny. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank Thank you that it's right here in our midst, that we can hear it in our language. But God, I pray that you would help us to listen, to not just hear, but let the words penetrate our hearts to turn things over in the soil of our hearts. Let us be exposed before you. And God, I pray that our hearts would be brought to a place of peace in your hand. God, would you help me to speak in that way towards those ends to the praise of your name? Amen. Uh, You shall not murder. It's uh, it's like the least controversial of the Ten Commandments. It's the one everybody can get on board with. It's probably the reason why most people just casually throw out, like, yeah, Ten Commandments, everybody agrees with the Ten Commandments. Even though we've seen thus far, probably everybody doesn't agree with the Ten Commandments. Um, But it's probably because they're thinking of this one and commandments like not to steal. You shall not murder is... um, it seems pretty uncontroversial. Um, it, is, it is you shall not murder. Um, it's, well, it's technically you shall not kill without approval, basically. Um, it's not a blanket ban on all killing. If you read the Old Testament, there's quite a bit of killing. Um, but murder, specifically the impermissible taking of life, the unjustified taking of human life, is prohibited here in the sixth commandment um, and for for christians we've always been identified with this commandment in a pretty uh, unique way in ancient roman culture christians obedience to this commandment to not murder set them apart in a way that was was made them a bit strange so christians would be committed to the protection and preservation of life to a degree that many other people would not. They embraced the care for um, infants who would be left out to be exposed and killed. They would speak strongly against abortion. They would care for populations that other people would otherwise want to discard or, or frankly just eliminate. Christians sort of earned their reputation on a number of active ways that they cared for people and this is one of the most significant. Is Christians take this commandment, you shall not murder the the implied statement of care for human life as something that is, is absolutely essential, it is distinctive about life following Jesus, or it should be. Um, you know, and we today live in a place in a time where those distinctives are especially important to be clear on in our own minds and our own hearts. Because this commandment is tied up with the rest of the commandments. Really all of them are are an interlocking logic within one another so that you can't violate one without violating several others. And the logic for why you should not murder is tied up in the beginnings of the commandments. Because the commandment that you should have only one God is also a description that this God is the only one that's the creator. He's the only one that authors life, and he is the Sabbath-giving God. He is the Sabbath-keeping God, who his vision for creation is that of a flourishing, lively, life-filled world. And so if you are going to be a murderer, you are also claiming your identity as a God in competition with the true creator God and in abject rejection of the Sabbath-giving God. So you cannot just singularly pull at any one of these threads they they all fit together god is a god of life and that ethic is important for us to have in our hearts and in our minds because we live in a place where the question of who who might be justifiably killed is more on the table than than it has been in a long time you know we we live in a place where people openly put their flag in the ground on the importance of women's access to abortion. We are neighbors with countries, allies with countries, where people can be killed for any number of reasons, by their own request, to the end of suffering, whether from old age or from disease. And the state protects that right to take your own life which this commandment prohibits. And we as a people in that context have to be incredibly clear and say the same things that we have always said, which is that life is a gift from God. Life is in in the hands solely of God. And to take life apart from his permission is a serious wrong. And we cannot participate in that. We cannot approve of that. You know, when you, when you say things like this, is, is clearly and make a moral judgment like that. Because, to, to be clear, I, I don't think there's a lot of gray area if you look at issues like abortion or euthanasia or things like this. You, you speak of them with clarity about an issue. But then when you talk to people, and when you talk to people who are contemplating these issues very personally, as people who are considering abortion or considering what it means to have to care for somebody who is suffering with no relief in sight. And then they feel the weight, perhaps, of decisions they've made in the past to have an abortion, to have sought out an end to their parents' life. The, the issue is not complicated, The issue is still the issue. There's still a right and a wrong from our perspective. But it becomes deeply personal. It's personally felt. Because it is a question of life and death. It is not a question just of a position on a piece of paper. It is speaking to the heart of people. And so usually, in my experience, when you speak with people, for example, who have had an abortion, even long time in their past, they don't view it and talk about it as something that was just a box that they checked and left behind them. They view it as one of the most consequential decisions they've ever made. Even people who think they made the right decision. Because they feel the weight of what it means to make decisions like this. And they carry it in their heart. And Jesus' teaching actually gets to this place, to where those decisions are made, when he gets to the heart of this commandment. Jesus is the greatest moral teacher ever. He is the greatest teacher of the law ever. And on his greatest teaching, his most famous teaching, where he... Stands on the mountain, modeling what it might look like to see Moses all over again, but with unveiled face. He calls back this commandment and says, you've heard it said you shall not murder. And then Jesus makes this commandment incredibly personal for all of us. It's, It's quite easy. ...to stand outside of a question of life and death. It's quite easy to quote the sixth commandment and say... ...I've got this one. This is my favorite commandment... ...because I have literally never murdered anyone. I am doing a great job. And Jesus throws open the door on this commandment... ...and turns it loose on you. And says, this is actually not all that the commandment is saying. The Pharisees, he says would have you contented with outward obedience. But I tell you, I tell you, that if you have looked on your brother with anger in your heart, you have spoken of him with contempt in your heart, you are guilty of murder. He he, He says that if you live in a broken relationship, if you are unreconciled to somebody who you have a problem with, if you have gone to church, in essence, with bitterness and unforgiveness in your heart, and you have not been reconciled to that person, you are guilty of the breaking of the sixth commandment. Jesus locates the issue of this commandment outside of a list of acceptable positions somewhere else for other people on a piece of paper. And he rips open your chest and says, let me show you where the heart of the Sixth Commandment is. I want to read for you. I read for you last week from the Westminster Larger Catechism. I want to read it again. I'm not going to do this every week. I haven't done this every week. I'm going to have it on the screen here so you can see the words too. I realize it might be hard to listen. Listen to how the the Westminster divines. And again, they're they're not unique. A lot of um, Christian teaching will do the same thing. I'm just reading from our catechism. The Sixth Commandment requires us to do our best to make every lawful effort to preserve our own life and the lives of others. We do this by not thinking about or planning, by controlling our emotions, and by avoiding all opportunities, temptations, or actions that would promote or lead to the unjust taking of someone's life. In the pursuit of that goal, we must defend others from violence, patiently endure the afflictions from God's hand, have a quiet mind, a cheerful spirit, practice temperance in the way we eat, drink, take medications, sleep, work, and play. We should also harbor charitable thoughts, love, compassion, meekness, gentleness, and kindness. Our speech and behavior should be peaceful, mild, and courteous. We should be tolerant of others, be ready to be reconciled, patiently put up with and forgive injuries against us, and return good for evil. Finally, we should provide aid and comfort to those in distress, as well as protect and defend the innocent. That is what the Sixth Commandment is about. It is an all-encompassing view of the sacredness and importance of life. And what the catechism, this catechism, and all other catechisms point to is the thing that Jesus points to. The heart of obedience and fulfillment of the Sixth Commandment it is a heart submitted under the peaceful hand of Jesus and that actively opposes a life of anger, fury, bitterness it is a life and a heart that takes on the pers- persona, the personality of Jesus. patience, kindness, meekness. That's what it looks like to fulfill the sixth commandment. So that if all you're doing when you read the Ten Commandments is to say, well, I have never taken somebody's life, that is the barest of minimums of what is required of you. And here, I think we ought to stop and recognize that we live in an environment actively constructed to be the opposite of everything that I just read. Our whole corporate life together is animated, fueled, and funded by anger. We live in a world dominated by outrage and fury. And I'd like to remind you, it is the year of our Lord, 2024. We have an election in this this country and I would like to submit to you now, in February, the rest of this year as evidence to my claim. Because you are actively watching now and will, for the next 11, 12, God willing, only 11 months, a people who are intent, I would say quite literally hell-bent, on squeezing and leveraging Every ounce of anger out of your anger-addicted body for the pursuit of their own power. The people who we call leaders in this country, their primary way of stimulating and leveraging popularity and power for themselves is to escalate and elevate their own volume of outrage the people who are most rallied behind in this country are the loudest, angriest people that you will ever hear. And people, no matter what side of the political spectrum, will will name that as righteousness and justice. Putting the name of Jesus next to people who are merely trying to outdo one another and the exercise of anger for the corporate good, which somehow happens to also mean their own personal power and success. And we have vast amounts of time and resources dedicated to observing and commenting on this theoretical public life. My suggestion to you in 2024, if you're an American citizen, is you should be informed. You should do your duty as an American citizen. It is a privilege, it's a right, and I would say a responsibility. You do not need to be informed hours of every day from angry and shouting people. No one needs that level of information. If I had the ability to, at the snap of a finger, erase from existence Fox News and MSNBC and CNN and every other forum, I would do it without a second thought. It is poison for your brain and for your heart. And that is not just about political commentary. I would say that from what I observe on social media, it is simply a perpetual anger machine. But his primary purpose, apart from distraction and porn, is to make you angry. Taylor Swift, one of the most popular and beloved people apparently in all of human history. (laughs) My daughter just told me this past week that people are so mad at her now. Not the people who can't handle her being near a football game, her own fans. Because she took her private plane to go be at the football game that a lot of people didn't want her to be at. Even her own fans now are ready to leverage their outrage at her failure to live up to their objectives for personal carbon output or whatever it is. If Taylor Swift can receive the outrage of the anger, I, pro- I promise you that nobody is safe. Nobody is exempt, including you and me. If you step back and look at the world that we live in, what I'm telling you is, if you are intent on actually obeying Jesus, of ridding your heart from the kind of destructive anger that makes you a commandment breaker, that leads you to despise and hold in contempt human life, you are living in the most difficult place to do it. And you must actively fight to obey Jesus. It is not going to happen on accident. The whole world is tilted towards anger. Everybody in this whole whole country, this whole culture, is running downhill and downstream towards an abyss of contempt for one another. And that is at the heart of Jesus' clarification of the Sixth Commandment. Jesus does get angry. It's not anger that's forbidden. Jesus gets angry for the right reasons and in the right way. And Jesus' mouth is a weapon. The book of Revelation is very clear on that. He's the one who rides on the white horse... He's the one that, from, from whose mouth comes a sword. But even when he is executing judgment on the people around him, it is not because he hates them. It is not because he despises them, but because he loves them. And what he is trying to do is to cut them free from the hypocrisy that has bound them and kept them from himself. You cannot use the moment of Jesus' anger and think that your anger and my anger on every little thing is therefore justified if I can somehow think long enough about how I am the one who is in the righteous right. The truth is, the level of my own spiritual immaturity, my own emotional fragility, is measured ...by my children. They will tell you... ...better than anybody else... ...that the beast of anger... ...has sunk its claws into me. How can I look at anybody else... ...in this whole hellbent world with any ounce of superiority, when my own children do not know where the very short supply of patience runs out. I cannot merely look at the world outside of me and say that anger and murder is a problem. Jesus holds up the mirror to me. And I must confess to you that I am a murderer. I I have been in the teeth of this animal my whole life. And the thing that would provoke me is as silly as a person who drives too slow when they shouldn't. Or drives too fast when they should. The person that makes me repeat myself a fourth or fifth time too many. It is anybody who tramples on my own autonomy, my own individuality. And it's not just my anger, but my contempt that comes out. This is in the air that I breathe. It is in the waters in which I swim. And it has come for me, and I would wager it has come for you. We are not meant to justify or to excuse that kind of sin. And it is sin. It is not a bad habit. It is not an oopsie. It is not a mistake, and everybody makes mistakes. It is sin. Because it is anti-creation. It is violation of flourishing. It is Sabbath undoing. And it is other God making. And it is all over my hand. There is no single of the Ten Commandments. Not even this easiest one. In which I come out ahead. Jesus, if you look at him in the Gospels, and you look at me, and you look at the world, and who we idolize and valorize and glamorize. Jesus is so singular. He has astonishing moral clarity. He can, he can tell you precisely what is very truly right and wrong. And yet he is so meek, and gentle, and kind and patient. There is nobody that's like him. And my only hope, the only hope I have in my murdering heart is, not, is that Jesus is not just an example to me. Because he's so far from me. It is a chasm of difference that I cannot hope to bridge, no matter my breathing techniques or meditation or focusing efforts or whatever you want to try. I can't get to where he is. That's what it feels like. Jesus is showing me the way forward and who I must become. But he is also, for me, a rescuer and a redeemer. Because Jesus, he lays aside all of his own rights to self-preservation and self-protection... He leaves aside the agendas of violence and impatience, rage and fury. He f- he focuses his anger on those who trample on the rights and the life of the innocent and the powerless. And then ultimately, he stares the spirit of murder in the face. And even his friends, he tells to put down the sword. As he brings on his own body all that commandment breakers like me can bring against him. And in his absolute strength and gentleness, Jesus does what only Jesus can do to free me. He enters into the depths. And the sorrows and the blackness of this murdering heart, to break the bonds of my own slavery, to relieve me of the burdens of the death that I have put into the world. He enters into the death that I have participated and created. And in his resurrection, he does what God has always named himself as he's the creator of life and Jesus life is extended even to me and all of my my sin and my failure Jesus is not just my example he is my savior and my great joy my confidence is that Jesus is big enough to do that not just for me but for you. And today, if you're here, and you are looking at the world in which you live, and you are realizing you have been, like me, infected by the spirit of this age, but you have been dominated and pushed around, bullied by a spirit of rage and outrage and unforgiveness, that you have not put away the way that others have grieved you, but instead you have fed those grievances, nourished them and cared for them like they are your little pets. If you have lived a life dominated by this kind of outrage that Jesus puts his finger on, this Jesus was crucified for you. And today, if you hear him and you feel his conviction, if you can feel that it is his finger on your chest, on your heart, there is one appropriate response. And it is repentance. You must turn around and leave this way of death, of hatred, anger, of unforgiveness and bitterness. And you must turn to him. And he says that to you, not in a spirit of anger, but of joy. Because he would set you free. So if you hear him repent... And let him free you. And if today you have never followed Jesus, I assure you that there is no better person than you have ever met. And probably you feel some things about yourself which merit some anger you feel. The good news of the gospel is that you partially write. It does merit anger. It did not in fact, merits wrath. And what God did is he decided that it would delight him to take every bit of what you deserve and to embrace it into himself so that you would instead receive the inheritance of Jesus and you'd be set free. So if today you realize that you have been living your own life You have lots of things about you that would make others afraid or angry. God sees you exactly who you are down to the depths of your being. And he chose to die for you and to welcome you home into his life. And today, if you hear his voice, there is one thing you must do, is you need to repent. You need to turn away from your own way of life under your own hand and turn to Jesus. And you will find there not condemnation, but joy, because it is God's delight to give you life. He is the Lord and the giver of life. He always has been and he always will be. And under his hand, you will live and you will thrive forever. Let me pray for us. Living God, we thank you. Our creation, our preservation, and more than all of those things, for the redemption that is made for us in Christ Jesus. We have fallen short of your judgments. We have sinned against you in so many ways. We have become more and more like our surroundings instead of becoming like Jesus. And we're sorry. For those who bear your name, but yet have adopted the ways of this world, in big and small ways, we confess that we are sorry. And Jesus, I pray that you would make us a people of repentance, of perpetually turning home to you and being changed to be more like you. Only you, could do the miracle of change of this heart. And so we cast ourselves into your hands and ask for you to work a miracle. And for everybody who's here, who does not know you, God, I pray that you would offer to them the hope of deliverance. Father, would you set them free from all that has bound them, all the ways that they have been injured by the fury of this world, and all the ways that they have contributed to it. God, I pray that you would help them to say the words, Jesus, save me. And God, let them be saved and delivered into your hands today. We thank you that in you, all we find is life and goodness. We thank you for giving it over to people like us. There is nobody like Jesus. Thank you. Amen.